Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. The Colorado Avalanche dropped their first game of their opening round playoff series against the Seattle Kraken. They lost that at home 3-1. to Now they face a game two in which one would expect them to play better. The Avalanche seem almost to a man to indicate that they played poorly and they know they played poorly and they'll get better. But there are concerns about uh, some of the injuries. Obviously, when you look at uh, bits and pieces of it, the question is, how hurt is Kale McCarr? It's not whether he's healthy or not. It's how hurt is he? Can you make it through? Uh, How much of that affects things? You have to figure, wouldn't you, when they say lower body, it's a groin or a thigh. It, it, it isn't a you know torn ligament or anything. No, you wouldn't be playing. No, it's, that it's, were the it's case. a pulled, it's, it's sore, it, it's something. A pull, uh, and it's one of those nagging things. And I know they said it was a fresh injury from the other lower body injury he had, along with the two concussions. I mean, he's really beaten up. I I think we can say that that will be the case throughout the playoffs as long as the playoffs last for the Avalanche. Yeah, he would. He, he is a beaten up player, but he can play better than he did the other night um i mean they're giving him big minutes still so my assumption would be he can function he can go playing 25 26 minutes a game so those are those are some of the concerns but i think also when you get guys that come back from injuries like mccarr like manson uh, yeah it's going to take them a little bit to get their legs back and so i i guess i look at this game and while I was disappointed in the game one loss because of that performance, I don't necessarily look at it as being indicative of the series. I think the Avs will come with a much better effort. And I, I think in Seattle's case, give them a lot of credit. They're clearly not scared of the avalanche. Uh, when, they, when you're talking about the way the Avs tried to take the puck into the offensive zone, unlike a lot of teams, the Kraken just came right at them. They decided to just go mono and mono, just go right at these guys. And, and the Avs will have to adjust. On the bright side, the Avs now have seen it, and you have, you have a choice. You can prepare for it, or if you're Seattle, you can change it. But if you're Seattle and you change it, then you make yourself what everybody else is, taking a step backwards on your heels, and you play right into the Avalanche's strength. So I, I really do like this as a bounce-back game for the Avs. That you know said, you, you still have to get it done. You break up McKinnon and Renton. You do it tonight in game two. Yeah, I, th- I think you do. And, you know, I'm, I I only say that because of all the injuries this year. Everybody's played with everybody. So let's say you put Lekkonen up on the first line with McKinnon and Rodriguez. Okay. They've played together before. Sure. Uh, you put Ratton on the second line with Comfort and Nishushkin. Then you have two big body players. They waiters. have played together before. Okay. This year, right? Ratton's the center on that line to me. Not, Com- not Comfort. Comfort's not centering that line. Ratton. That's okay. Ratton's, okay. Ratton's taking the faceoffs. Ratton's centering that line. I think that's the decision they will make. During the course of a 60-minute game, if it isn't working, you can always go back to the way you that's, did it. That's what before. I think might happen, right? I don't. You don't expect to see it at the start of the game. You expect uh, that maybe Bednar may. I don't know. You might. You might. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to me uh, to, to see whether he comes out that way. Just to give Seattle a different kind of look and make them worry about the second line. I mean, You've got analysts saying, listen, 
McCarr is great when he's healthy. And McKinnon has been spectacular the second half of the year. But we've heard it on this program over the course of the entire season. Given that he's played in every game, I'm not sure over an entire season that Rantanen hasn't been their MVP. And maybe oh, they were doing very, very well. That argument. Maybe they're doing very well to be 2017 and three. Now, but for people saying, well, you've uh, got to make radical changes and they uh, got a little complacent. You can't overreact and, 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 and that much that's to been going on game. for a while. And I'm like, there were 31 7 and 4 down the stretch. Yeah. Complacency? What are you talking They've been about? as good as any team in the league. Right. As good as Boston, Boston including Edmonton, virtually as good in the last 42 games as any team in the league. And apart from those two other teams, they were way ahead of teams by 10 points or more in their own division that they were fighting for first place in the final month of the season. They were 10 points better. Plus, 10 points plus yeah. better than Dallas, better than Minnesota the last 42 yeah, games. Yeah, you don't want to overreact. So I don't, I don't want to hear about this. And, you know, of all the home teams who lost the other night and are trying to get even tonight, Toronto, New Jersey, the Avs, and Vegas. Right. Who do I have the most confidence in of those four home teams? By far, the Avalanche. By far. More than I have with Vegas. I, I'm not even sure Vegas is as good as Winnipeg. At least the Winnipeg team I saw the it's first half the of one the season. In, yeah. And the one who played the played other night was the team that played like the team that played in the first half of the season. And it wasn't a matter of the goaltender who's very good standing on his head throughout the course of the game. He didn't have to. And I, I think the Rangers may be a better team than New Jersey and they're more seasoned playoff team than New Jersey. And who knows what's going on psychologically with Toronto. Uh, they got one of their foot soldiers suspended for several games because of cheap shot he threw, bunting the other night. And it, it, Toronto's a basket case psychologically. It's it, just a basket case. And I'm not saying they won't win tonight, but it's going to be a long series. Mm-hmm. And... Whether it's I, I know Tim, uh, yeah. especially in games in Toronto, the, these guys are as tight as a drum. It it is a, kind of that that's that's sort of the illustration on how difficult it is to win a Stanley. It's Cup hard to win. Jim Montgomery said it last night. Uh, they asked him, "What's the lesson out of losing Game Two, six to three, to the Florida Panthers right. when you plastered them in the first game?" He says, "The lesson is." It's really hard to win in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Right. That's the lesson. No matter what record you came in with, doesn't matter. doesn't make any difference. Each of these and, games, oh is, by it's the a way, uh, thing of its own. Patrice Bergeron was not just sick with a bug that's been going around the Bruin locker room. He's hurt. He's got a shoulder injury, some kind of upper body injury that may have him sidelined for a while. And, you know, I know Pasternak's the best player, but Charlie McAvoy, the defenseman, mm-hmm. he, he's an all-star defenseman. Right. He was minus three last night. David Krejci, a veteran, good player, not a great player at this point, but a good player. He was minus three last night. It's tough 
to win in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And unlike the NBA playoffs where you're looking at two or three of these teams, and I'm not sure they they're barely playoff belong. quality. They barely belong. You don't have that in the NHL. The, I mean, the bottom one in the West the is Winnipeg. Playoffs, Winnipeg might be better, as you pointed a, out, than the top seed. You know, I, in the NHL, you, you don't have undeserving teams well, I remind in people, the playoffs. Eight, eight teams, eight, eight seeded teams have won the Stanley Cup, not just once. I mean, it's happened on multiple occasions. Eight seeded teams. Uh, the big story is when eight seeded teams knock off a number one in the first round in the NBA ever. I mean, they win cups. So, yeah, it is tough, and it's one of the reasons that the Avs can't back off. They have to make sure they tighten things up and play better than they did. And in their defensive zone, they have to be better, too. Nashua had 92 points, missed the playoffs. Pittsburgh had 91 points, missed the playoffs. First time in 17 seasons? Buffalo had 91 points, missed the playoffs. Just saying. Yeah. Now, what is really 500 hockey? The median is probably around 89, 90 points. I think so, about 90, but 90 points. 91 even. points, 92 points, that, that's a decent season. At least it's not a bad year. And, I mean, people got fired. Look at Pittsburgh. Right. They got rid of Ron Hextall. Well, there's First a time standard, in 17 years yeah, you missed the playoffs. Years, Somebody's got to pay the Somebody price. you guys got to go out. And so – for the Avs, you know, in their own defensive zone, they have to be more careful. I thought the the pairings in general, uh, I thought the Avs on defense, for the most part, were were pretty poor. And, and certainly there were challenges with McCarr. Yeah, there I were agree. challenges with Manson, I, I but agree. Taves was uncharacteristically yeah. poor. Yeah. Uh, they were just poor. The Avs' defensive play, which is one of the strengths of its team, was, was bad. And so if there's one thing I think if you're an Avs fan and you look at it and you have to feel comfortable about, it's that you've seen the Avs, lay an egg like this before. In fact, we saw it against now-eliminated Pittsburgh. Matter of fact, that was the most recent game I can imagine where the Avs came out, looked like everything should be good, and they were just awful. They were just a really bad hockey team that night. And then they bounced back and went on a giant run to finish off the season. The history with this team shows that when they have those occasional stinkers, they bounce back and they go on a run. That could happen again here. Now, it's the playoffs. The, the opposition that they're facing is better, and the nature of the playoffs is a little more random in a lot of ways as well. But it's still more or less the same group, and quite frankly, they're healthier than they've been at any point this year. Yeah, so I, I look at it and think, look, they had a stinker. Did it happen at a bad time? Yes, it did. But it's not nearly a series ender. They go out and, and play their game if they play their game the way they're, they're supposed to. They should win this game. I don't think they'll blow the Kraken out, but they should win. And then all of a sudden, we're talking about a best of five. And sure, the Kraken would have three of those home games, but the Avs are, one, better road team than they are home team anyway this year. And I don't have to remind you what they did on the road in last year's Stanley Cup playoffs. Was they were one game extraordinary on the road. So I'm not really worried about home and road with the Avs. I'm worried about health and the manner in which they're playing. So if they wipe the bad taste out of their mouths here with this game tonight. They look they look like themselves again. I'm not really worried about it. They're just the better team. It feels in many ways as if the Avs in game one took the Kraken's best punch. And it knocked them down. But even with as poorly as the Avs played, they had a puck at the crossbar. 
They had an open chance that was whiffed. They had opportunities to score that they they left on the table. This could have still been in game one, a one-goal game, an overtime game, and, and maybe even a win. I remember last year, poorly. they had some shaky game ones. Mm-hmm. They didn't lose any of them, but there were some shaky game ones last year. Uh, weren't there at least two? They won an overtime? Yes. Game one? Stanley Cup final? Game one went to overtime, I think. I think that's correct, yeah. Right? I think that was a 4-3 overtime game, if I remember right. Yeah. So that's that's all right. Yeah, I just don't think you you worry you worry about it right now. You look at the you know that the early goal was a sort of an odd disconnect between well, Taves the, and there, and, and there Georgiev. are two guys standing in front of Georgiev. Uh, the goal scorer takes a swat at the puck. Georgiev makes, makes the initial save, which would, would have easily and then was he a great save. Takes it out of the air on the rebound and bats it through. Uh, Georgiev no chance on that. The second goal was a three on two. Um, uh, and, and that's all they needed. Third goal was insurance, but this was not a game in which going into the third period down two one, I felt good about the avalanche chances. I, I thought they played their best period in the second. They should have been tied after two. And once they weren't, uh, and fairly quickly gave up the third goal to go down 3-1, it, it was it was just not their night. Uh, I thought they played a poor first period. Uh, unlike some of the commentators, I didn't think they played particularly well in the third period either. I, I thought didn't the think second they were any better. Was, yeah, I agree. Uh, I thought the second period was uh, pretty good, and they're clearly their best period of the night. And, uh, you know, uh, quickly to tie it in with the Nuggets, Malone is right about one thing, and he says he told the team this after the game. We played eight quarters in this series. Seven have been great, and one was a stinker. And I don't know that that's inaccurate. I, th- I think he's right about that. Mm-hmm. Bednar can tell his team, you played one period of pretty good hockey the other night, and you played two bad ones. So we <laughs> got to play three good ones to him. This have is- to be great. You don't have to blow the doors off them, but it, you, you have to be more conscientious about your defensive responsibilities, and you have to be able to get out of your own end and anticipate that they're going to forecheck hard. And, you know, it's it, it's what do they say in basketball, that running teams don't like to be run against, right? right? Well, teams that forecheck well don't like to be forechecked themselves. Correct. And, but you've and got the, to put yourself in a position to be able to forecheck them hard. Yes. And the Avalanche did not put themselves in that position for reasons you outlined yesterday in exquisite and perhaps for Avalanche fans excruciating detail. <laughs> yeah. and, and again, the, the bright side of it is it just doesn't feel like something they're going to duplicate. It, it just doesn't. So we'll, we'll find out tonight, of course, when the Avs uh, get a chance to even the series. Uh, I would be stunned if they came out with a... Even if even if this turns out to be a loss, and you certainly hope it's not, I'd be stunned if we saw an Avalanche team that looked that rusty, that disconnected, 
that discombobulated. That was some McKinnon's word, by the way. Uh, yes, disconnected. That was exactly what McKinnon said. Uh, they need a win tonight, and when you are injured, you need a win as well. So that's why you need our friends at Burnham Law. BurnhamLaw.com is the website. 720-845-7001 is the phone number. Hire the winner. Their personal injury attorneys have had years of experience fighting for their clients. And when you're injured, they'll push for you to get your maximum recovery, whether that's by settlement or by trial. They'll fight for you. They're convenient to get to. They have locations in Fort Collins, Boulder, Westminster, Cherry Creek, Colorado Springs, even Cheyenne, and the DTC area where we are. That's where their personal injury office is as well. So when you need that win, don't mess around with it. Don't hire someone who just entertained you. Don't hire the billboard lawyer. Find someone who gives it gets you wins and proves that they gets wins. Gets wins. You know what I mean. They get the wins. And that's our friends at Burnham Law. BurnhamLaw.com, 720-845-7001. The Denver Nuggets get it done. How quickly is that? I'm not even going to say how long will this, uh, how, how, you know, how will this series end? How quickly will it end? We'll talk about that next on Miley Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Danny Bailey is like on the, uh, we're on the same wavelength here. Because uh, after the game last night, Michael Malone said that Minnesota's fans have been wanting Denver. Well, we're coming. A little bit of bravado from Michael Malone after the nine-point win last night, in which things got a little dicey for a little bit. But yeah, uh, all's well that ends well. Yeah. But uh, I, I don't know that Michael Malone was feeling that brash. Nor do I. With about six and a half minutes to go in the game. I convinced that Michael trailing. Malone was the reason that they ended up winning this game as well. To be totally honest, it felt, and maybe at moments, as if some of his charges sort of maybe bailed him out a little bit. Presumably a guy that I wears number one on his jersey. A lot. I think Porter and Murray in particular in the fourth quarter. Uh, Jokic had his usual solid game, but Murray and Porter bailed him out in the fourth quarter, and I say bailed out them and Malone's included in them because, again, the decision to play Jeff Green at age 36 for 13 minutes in a row. This is bizarre. And actually, a little more than that was just bizarre. made no sense. He looked Exhausted. I can't. Yeah, it's like I can't quarter. even imagine Jeff if, Green if wants to be. If you go back and look at the play-by-play, play, he did nothing but make mistakes during the 13 straight minutes he was on the floor. Now he wasn't centrally involved in in the action, but he certainly. Uh, I understand Aaron Gordon had foul trouble, but why Michael Porter sat for 19 minutes last night, I'll never know. Well. Hopefully that that won't be happening again because obviously he's continued to play very well, played really, really well uh, in the limited amount of time that he was given last night. But I'll, I'll give you what Michael Malone said. I'll give you that full quote. He said, what we have to do is not be satisfied. If you're going to be a great team, you've got to be selfish. 
be selfish. Let's go up and get game three. Let's not be complacent. That was my biggest concern coming into tonight, and it will be an even bigger concern going into game three. We know it's going to be a crazy environment there. Their fans have been asking for Denver. Well, here we come. Now, the bravado aside, he's not wrong. And and we'll have an opportunity to, uh, the expectation will have Coach George Carl to talk about uh, the, the Nuggets as well. Tomorrow. And he's talked about the idea of, at times, uh, winning that game two after you've won game one can be tricky. And uh, he said that. Doug Moe said that. Right. He, Doug Moe said that once. He said it four or five dozen Guys times can over the complacent. years that it is a natural phenomenon uh, for the home team to let down a bit in game two. Now, I thought that proved out a little bit last night with the Nuggets. When they got up by 21, they stopped playing and started standing. And when you stand on offense, it's likely you'll kind of stand on defense too. The motion, the urgency, the energy went out of the game, and that's just what Minnesota's Anthony Edwards needed to start taking over. The and, game. and let's let's point out that there were starters for the Nuggets on the floor that did a lot of that standing around. Nikola Jokic is, no is taking the ball. Well, we remember one sequence as we were watching I, side by I side. I may last. have shouted at the television which made no sense, but it was it, in a really it, loud He bar. had the ball at the top of the key, and he was holding it, and nobody, nobody cut, Nobody moved. moved. Nobody cut. Nobody moved. Four guys Looked like Carmelo Anthony was back. in place. Just standing around watching. And, you know, you for fall to, Jokic for holding the ball, but nobody's moving. Well, he had to pick What's up his dribble. Do? What can he do anyway? He has to pass it. Somebody should be moving. And uh, and uh, too many of the starters did not do it. I, I don't believe... I'm trying to remember, well, Porter Porter Jr. wasn't in. I think it was, no. was the difference. No. But Gordon was in. Murray was in. Oh, yeah. KCP was yeah. in. Oh, sure. And they weren't no, they cutting. Had starters in the game. And and they, and they, they played they, starters with Jeff Green. Yeah, they uh, got lack of Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown was out there a little bit. Yeah, Bruce Brown too, was out I, there I, for I, a You know, I thought it was kind of a funny game for Bruce Brown, uh, although uh, the numbers indicate that he was plus 16 in 30 minutes. But... Uh, I, Three I, for seven shooting, kind of didn't really. I, I kind of um, thought it was so. He's had better performances, and uh, he played a lot in the first half. Green was the sub who played the most in the second half, mm-hmm. he, which is really, was. really. Now uh, Brown, because well, I agree, Brown with you. ended up playing thirty minutes, and Green played twenty six. But it, you said it earlier; uh, they went with seven guys last night, and I, I do subscribe to the old Pat Riley dictum that you. Uh, play eight, use seven, and trust six in the playoffs. Right. And he said that when he was the coach of the Lakers. <laughs> yeah. They had, who you would have to think had more than six players they you had could six, trust. Yeah, they had more than uh, that you could trust. Uh, but uh, th- th- his point was you shorten your bench in the playoffs. And I, uh, okay, as a theory, I get that. And I know there was some foul trouble with Gordon last night. But to play Christian Brown only seven That's minutes the part that throws me. made it's, no sense. Yeah. At all, and to only have played Porter twenty nine minutes, uh, I I thought was a mistake. Uh, he did have him in at the start of the fourth quarter, and Porter scored eight straight points to begin the quarter, and uh, changed the uh, vibe inside the building, which after a very loud crowd response during the first half, got very quiet by the end of the third quarter at Ball Arena. And give uh, Bruce Brown obviously with the sort of mediocre game in a lot of ways, but give him credit because. Uh, no, 
there there is there was no big man backup to Nikola Jokic. Obviously, that ends up kind of being Jeff Green. There is no point guard backup to Jamal Murray. They didn't. They played neither Ish, Ish Smith nor Reggie Jackson. That ends up being Bruce Brown. But that's where Bruce Brown actually shined last night. Five assists, only one turnover. That's led to a lot of the plus sixteen. Uh, Murray had for as great as the scoring nights he had, had five assists and four turnovers. Jokic even had a three turnovers to his nine assists. Yes. Now that's fine, yeah. but Brown fine. was arguably their best distributor last night, given yeah. the minutes that he had, and that was an important part of the equation. So when you when you talk about trusting him, that that to me is what's strange. It was the idea that yeah, he technically played eight. Christian Brown got seven minutes, but. He needs to get more minutes than that. And, and I agree with what you mentioned earlier in the show, Sandy. I don't really have a problem because I don't look and say Zeke Naji would have been much better than Jeff Green. I don't really have even a huge problem with the way Jeff Green played. I don't know why he's out there for 13 straight minutes. And I, I see in the box score he has no rebounds in 26 minutes. and That's hard to... That, that's, you're you the, you're the replacement get a rebound one might bounce to me. One yeah. might bounce to him. Right. And he has zero rebounds, and Brown had two rebounds in seven minutes. And, you know, okay, Green had 11 points, but uh, two assists, and one I, block, a couple turnovers. There's an argument you can go deeper, but I, I can't really say with any fair that, that Zeke Naji or – Reggie Jackson, or then when you really start getting deep to Chan Chan, that's going to be any better than what they've used. But the distribution of the eight is weird because the point you made is that if you were going to rank the Nuggets, we know who the five starters are. If you were going to say who should be the, if if, if we counted it as such, sixth man, seventh man, eighth man. Sixth man is Bruce Brown. Seventh man should be Christian Brown. And was last night the order they came into the game. Right. Was the Brown, eighth man should Brown, be Jeff Green. And Green. But then they That's, never went back to Christian Brown. But then they, and they, even Bruce they, Brown they, didn't play. They played him for like four minutes in the first half and three minutes in the yeah. second half. No significant uh, something like that. return. And, and, and kind of strange, especially when you know that Christian Brown brings energy and defense. And he can run all day. And what you needed to do is even though they were playing very well, if you slow Anthony Edwards down, if you slow his roll down, Denver walks away with this game easily. Yes, and, and so why not deploy Christian Brown for a little while? player hurting the Nuggets. And tell, and, you know, tell Christian Brown, stay on him. I don't care if you score. I don't even really care if hey, you foul. Face, Just stay on face him. Face guard him, for goodness Yeah, sake. whatever you have to do. Well, whatever you don't have even to let do. him get the ball. But, right. but do what you need to do. And we'll see if that changes. But obviously that was somewhat concerning. And I think one of the reasons that Minnesota was able to bring this game back to being, a, a, quite frankly, a lead for them in the late going. We have a, a, a text about it, Danny. Absolutely. We had Vinny text in. It's definitely too early in the playoffs to go to a seven-man rotation. Can't wear your guys out so early. And you guys are right. They've been going seven, maybe eight. So it seems like, especially when they build up that lead, if they can get a couple more guys involved and keep guys fresh longer, that's the ideal situation. Yes, Yes, it would be. And, and thanks for the, the text, Vinny. If anyone else would like to join in, it's 303-831-1340. Call or text. And, and I, I think there is something to that. It, and that this, is, this speaks to the same issue that we have essentially had with Michael Malone for some time. Now, to be fair, in the laugher that was game one, everybody but Thomas Bryant got off on the floor. I mean, everybody. He, he did more or less empty the benches and got everybody out there at least for a little bit of time. Uh, everybody got at least four minutes except for Chanchar just got two. But this game was 
starting to be one in which the Nuggets were pulling away from. And maybe you could have stolen a minute or two away, but it just ends up being kind of strange. And my worry is that, it, to use the old John Wooden, right? Pressure doesn't develop character, it reveals it. Oh, absolutely. Michael Malone's character is when there is pressure, I go with veterans. Yeah. Not not even necessarily guys that I trust or my best athletes or what just veterans. Well, he leans he, towards going for experience. He, he, I, I would say he does trust veterans uh, to an unreasonable extent, Jeff Green being the primary example, and he doesn't trust any first, second-year player, uh, especially uh, ones he isn't necessarily in favor of drafting in the first place. And I think in in, in this instance, uh, I think of Peyton Watson, not that he should be getting 15, 20 minutes. Throw him in for two, three minutes for the heck of it on, just, on to see what he could do. Yeah, I, I, I guess. I don't know that he's the ideal guy to guard. He's not Edwards, the best guy to guard Edwards. But, but uh, you know, I, I'm just saying his confidence seems to wane uh, very quickly with younger players and his level of trust in younger players. And it isn't that Jamal Murray will be any less effective in game three because he played 39 minutes. They needed to have him out there for 39 minutes. Yeah. But I thought they needed to have, among other things, people who should have played more. I thought they needed to have Michael Porter out there, not for 39 minutes, but more than 29. Certainly. Certainly. You're talking about uh, the, the third leading score on your team. You're talking about uh, the best three-point shooter on your team. The most, actually, the most uh, effective for shooter on your team uh, from distance. And another guy that is young and, and that seems to thrive when the coach puts a little bit of faith in him. And in this case, in the fourth quarter, Michael Malone sort of needed to put faith into him and it paid off. And the, and the team needed him to step up and, and get it done. He gets 13 points in the fourth quarter and looks good doing it. But it, it does feel again, that even though Michael Porter Jr. Isn't exactly a new player to the Denver Nuggets anymore, but he's not a veteran because he's not a veteran in the end, Malone, when push comes to shove, would rather just play Jeff Green because he's 36 years old and he's been in the league longer. And that is the concern, maybe not in this round, but it's the concern when you start facing... When you start facing real basketball teams. And, and the league's best coaches. Yes. And then the, yes. the in-game substitution patterns matter a lot. And, and listen, last, last night, um, Memphis came back because as Charles Barkley pointed out at halftime on TNT, the Lakers saw Memphis last night as an easy mark because John Morant couldn't play. Whoops. And they <laughs> yeah. won the first game when John Morant played a lot mm-hmm. and, and went out late in the game, but the Lakers most likely would have won that game anyway. And Barkley suggested they came out, well, we're the Lakers. Yeah, that, we're the Lakers, and they don't have John Morant, and we beat him largely with John Morant in the first game. We're the Lakers. We'll we'll just intimidate. And uh, let's see. Yeah, I don't know the last. Uh, how did that? Quite work frankly, now? it's been years since the. Give this to the Memphis Grizzlies. You talk about a team with or without John Morant. Their sort of character is they're not well, scared. 
They don't get scared. That's just the way they're. That's the way that team runs. They out rebounded the Lakers last night. They played with more poise. They had three more assists and two fewer turnovers. They played a smarter game, uh, and maybe maybe that's not exactly the right characterization. But I I, I think they play a more engaged uh, game. And and Davis Davis turned into Carl Anthony Towns last night. The two. Old Kentucky big men, right? Yeah. Davis, 13 points, terrible shooting night, very much like Towns. 13 points, nine rebounds, three assists, five blocks, good. Couple of turnovers, but played 38 minutes and scored 13 points. LeBron was was terrific, but LeBron was minus 17, largely because he was playing with Davis, who was a minus player last night. And actually, Vanderbilt and Russell weren't, terribly effective but they were plus players and uh you know they had Hachimura again coming off the bench getting 20 for him uh old friend Malik Beasley got seven coming off the bench they, the Lakers had some things going for them last night but they couldn't overcome their own complacency and their own arrogance I, and, and it, it looked like that I I thought uh listen Milwaukee and Miami uh it, you could anticipate with or without Giannis that Milwaukee would bounce back strong after a bad game one and and they did and there was nothing particularly wrong with Miami last night Milwaukee was just prepared and knew that game two at home after losing game one was pretty close to must win and so in the end the home teams took care of business all three of them last night in the NBA playoffs but uh, frankly the two other games shouldn't have been more one-sided than the Nugget game turned out to be. I, I mean, Memphis and Milwaukee won by double digits. The Nuggets did not. Well, the, the Nuggets find themselves in a terrific position as they head to Minnesota to basically uh, start hammering the final nails into the Minnesota Timberwolves coffin. The Colorado Avalanche feel even one game in that maybe they have to pry one out of theirs. We'll take you know, a look. They, they, I, I want to say very quickly. Uh-huh. There's one particular piece that I want to address when we come back that really bugs the daylights out. Okay, <laughs> I was going to say something stronger. But uh, but you already pointed to one of the things. Yeah. And there are a couple other things that uh, they were talking about, maybe not using it as an excuse, but they were talking about it. And funny how last year in the playoffs they never – mentioned this particular subject we'll take a look at what that is and what that means for the avalanche as they try to tap the series one-to-one next on my life sports sandy cough and sean trotar weekdays at two on Mile High Sports. Game two for the uh, Avalanche and the Kraken will be tonight. 7.30 tip. Well, not tip. Face-off. Tips basketball, obviously. Face-off for the uh, Avs and Kraken tonight. You'll be able to catch that. Thursday, up. it's hockey. Right. Friday, will be back to basketball. Right. And Saturday, it'll be hockey again. And They're both pretty much 
for the time being on an every other day. Which is good, right? It's it's good they're not overlapping, obviously, for fans. Games 1 and 2 had the extra day in the NBA. Mm -hmm. But this this is a big one. And there are some things that are – there's some interesting narratives around it. And and some of them are uh, a little silly. Look, the the, the, the Avs (laughs) – as Nathan McKinnon said, disconnected. Yeah. They, they didn't. They didn't That's play right. well. They they were bringing guys back from injury. It, it didn't look good. But some of the narratives around uh, these challenges are are real. One would be the idea that that you and others have brought up of maybe splitting up Brandon and McKinnon, yeah. maybe as soon as this game, yeah. to see if you could at least force Seattle to. Uh, alter the way they defend and make them defend two lines in the yes. same way. There, yes. There's an advantage to doing that with with equal seriousness. That is a that is a serious discussion. That is a serious suggestion. Right. A not serious suggestion is that somehow either Andrew Cogliano, Darren Helm, or Jack Johnson is yeah. what the Avs need to fix their woes. I, I, I Jack Johnson, I guess, was going to play. And they go through the pregame warm-ups and decide he can't go, and Eric Johnson will play. Now, uh, I, I, one's a righty, one's a lefty. Otherwise, both I don't on the third see, pair. Right. I don't see much difference between the two. Okay, that's one. Uh, th- this idea that Cogliano and Helm are going to come on, and yes, they were very, very good at their jobs during the playoffs last year, and Cogliano is a great story. Iron Man, uh, you know, leader, but even after just a few weeks with the team. He was at liberty to speak out because he's earned that distinction throughout his career. He's a useful penalty killer. Penalty killing wasn't the problem for the Avs in game one. They did fine on the penalty kill. Usually Mm -hmm. a weakness. They did fine the other night on the penalty kill. So Cogliano wasn't the difference between their winning or losing the game. And I I don't think he's going to play tonight. But even if he does, the same things we talked about, that they have to do better in game two, they still have to do them better. Whether Cogliano plays or not, and the same thing with Helm, who's hardly played at all this year right. anyway. Right. So uh, I, I don't want to hear about that, and I also don't want to hear about bad ice. And, uh, oh, you know, my. there's some grumbling about that. And I, I get it on the second goal. Uh, we were talking about what we liked about Georgiev. The other night that he didn't tumble around or uh, right. you know, flop like a yeah. flounder, uh, you know, between the pipes. And the other night on the second goal, he he kind of did, and he said his skate got caught in a rut in the ice. And I go, okay, 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 oh, okay. Entirely but possible. But he he wasn't saying that was why uh, they lost the game. And I I thought he played okay the other. I mean, fact, I thought he played pretty well. I, I don't think it. Was, I don't think the loss gets pinned so, on him. Anyway, no. If that was all there was to it, but then a couple of the skaters started moaning about it uh, too, and Logan O'Connor basically told him to shut up. That Thank the, you. That it wasn't a reasonable excuse, and Jared Bender said the ice was the same for both teams, and they seemed to forecheck fine, and they seemed to uh, uh, skate just fine uh, on the on the bad ice. You I know the ice. I know the ice is bad at Pepsi uh, at uh, Ball Arena. It was bad at Pepsi Center too. It's always been bad. I don't know why. You get warm days in the spring. Well, it's the thing. It's it's hard. It's hard to do in Denver. This is not a. It's not a humid state. So obviously, it's hard to keep the the condensation there. Uh, It is. It's just hard to keep a clean sheet ice here in Colorado. Like you said, it's it's bad ice at DU too. But you know what? I I notice after they lose games at DU, nobody talks about the ice. The kids don't talk about the ice being bad. And if the ice is bad, it it affects the skating team more. Right, sure. But Seattle's a good skating team, and they seem to do fine. 
on bad ice the other night. I, you know, you hear about bad ice for years. Edmonton's supposed to have the best ice. It's in and Edmonton. That, that is historically true. It's in Edmonton. Yeah. Toronto has good ice. Uh, they've been playing hockey for a while at Toronto. Yeah. Uh, it, Montreal has good ice. They, whether it was but the, look at the envi- or, or, or the new place. Humid, cool environments. Relative new place. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's right. You that's where you get ice. There. You know where ice was bad? At Madison Square Garden where they had 55,000 events going on at once right. in the spring. And no time including for the circus. Keep going. So, uh, you know, they're going from the circus to basketball to hockey. And, you know, hockey takes some tender, loving care as far as preparing the ice surface. And, you know, I think it probably did uh, cause some injuries, but injuries on on both sides, both the Rangers and the visiting team were, were affected by it. And I don't remember the Rangers who never won a Stanley Cup during that period, although they made the playoffs in like eight straight years, which nobody else did in the mid-late 60s through expansion and on into Basically, the mid-1970s, they never won the Cup. But I don't remember them saying bad ice. Jean Rattel broke his ankle one year. A shot from the point hit him in the ankle in the wrong place. He broke his ankle. Yeah, it had nothing that's, to do with the that's, ice. That's, uh, the, I don't want to hear about The risk ice. of oversimplifying it, that's just loser talk. Both teams played on the same ice. Uh, there's a reason you switch sides at the period break. So you're on, I mean, you know. Yeah, I'm sure the ice isn't isn't great there, but they've won three Stanley Cups. Old McNichols Arena, the ice was not great. No. Pepsi Center, ice was not great. Now named Ball Arena, ice is not great. Um. Yeah, you you got to avoid that talk after one that, loss. After one loss, you really got to avoid that talk. You got to be able to look and say, look in the mirror no, and say, you know a, what, we didn't play well. And I, Guess I, get it fixed. I've, I've I've read online some reactions on social media that uh, you know, the Avalanche have gotten a little complacent, they've gotten a little tired. Now, thirty-one-seven four finish, and nobody was complaining about the ice when they went thirty-one-seven and four, no. and even at home where they weren't as good this year as they were on the road. They were winning almost all the time. And when they lost to Pittsburgh and Minnesota in big games, they didn't talk about the ice. No. Don't talk about it now. It's just weird things. The ice bad thing to talk about. You talk about I the... I think Newark uh, said, well, in the in the morning skate, we could tell it was bad. Well, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's just as bad. Well, maybe not quite as bad today. It's a little cooler outside. Right. Maybe it's not as bad. I, I, but it won't but be, it doesn't it won't be matter. day difference. It doesn't no. matter how... how how the ice surface. And the idea, you know, I'm with you. I don't think they'll get Cogliano or Helm. But for reference, uh, those two guys played a combined 90 games this year. Right. They had 19 total points. Out of a possible, what, 164? Right. And, and I mean, Cogliano played right. in 79 of them, of course. Right. But, I mean, he had 19 points. Helm had played in 11 and got no points. At Cogliano or Helm, they're not yeah. coming back. They're not landing. I mean, land it'd be nice Scott. to have them. Sure. It, it would be nice to have them. But they probably won't play tonight deal with it and, the, the, and, and thankfully yeah. the head coach is and there was a rather odd uh point made in a column today that i, I just want it's to gotten to oddly personal on. over the years hasn't it mark kisla writing about uh jared bednar and and for the most part respectfully uh but there was a line in here and listen i i thought bob hartley was a terrific coach here uh uh, but I remember Mark being quite a 
severe critic of Bob Hartley's when he was actually coaching here, and yet he writes for the Post this morning, a year ago, a life-size cardboard cutout of Bob Hartley on the Avalanche bench could have won the Cup. Come on. Really? Uh, During the opening round sweep of Nashville, the Avs all but eliminated the Predators during the opening 20 minutes of Game 1 in a series that Colorado won by a cumulative score of 21-9. to But all the good vibes are gone now. What? Every time they lost a game last year in the playoffs, it's a game. Mark and or other hockey observers in the city after we were doing post-game shows mm-hmm. back then. Yes, we were. Right? And after every one of the four losses, there was sheer and total People just panic. Wait it. Yeah. Panic. Oh, they got, they're, they're in trouble now. I'm not going to recommend you Bednar's take... Bednar's a Ken doll behind the uh, yeah, bench. An awful lot of advice from Aaron Rodgers, but relax. <laughs> I mean, it's one game. We'll find out more uh, tomorrow after the Avs get it done tonight. Want to uh, thank Danny Bailey for putting everything together in the booth. Andrew Detmer's the guy that makes it work. You can always check everything out at MyLifeSports.com. If you missed anything, especially early, by the way, we had an opportunity to talk to the former principal of Columbine High School, uh, Frank DeAngelis. You could catch that at Mile High Sports or at the free uh, Mile High Sports app. Recommend you go ahead and check that out as well on a day of remembrance uh, over there at Columbine especially. So we were delighted to be able to at least bring that perspective to you as well. We're going to hand things off to our friends. Afternoon Drive, Anilo Piro and Cody Rourke, Sean Payton. Had a sh- very Sean Payton-like pre-draft press conference. And, uh, Cody oh, I'm Nish- sure it was immensely revealing. Cody Neal will break it all down for you. So you'll want to stay tuned right here. They're up next for Sandy. What do you have Sean. to say about those first-round, second-round picks again? Oh, that's right. They don't have it. This is My Life Sports. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.